0: Welcome to the Public Reality. September 17th is Constitution Day, commemorating the day the United States took its first steps toward pursuing that more perfect union. For 236 years, the Constitution serves as the document, at least in theory, that raised the question, can the people govern themselves? Over the last several years, that question has been accompanied with some doubt. There are myriad reasons for the decline, but one that many experts agree is a decline in civic education. According to the National Assessment of Educational Progress for Civics in History, shows that only 22% of 8th graders demonstrate proficiency in civics, and it doesn't appear to increase exponentially when students reach high school. In short, this grand experiment is not sustainable if a growing number of adults are unaware of their rights and responsibilities as citizens. To engage in this conversation, I'm joined by Julia Silverbrook. Silverbrook is a Senior Director of Partnerships and Constitutional Scholar-in-Residence with iCities. Julia Silverbrook, welcome to The Public Morality.
1: Lovely to be here.
0: I want to begin our conversation uh, by having you just give us a sort of a big picture macro of iCivics. What is it? Who started it? How did it get started? Just give us the Reader's Digest version, if you would.
1: Sure. Um, iCivics was founded by retired U.S. Supreme Court Justice Sandra Day O'Connor when she stepped down from the U.S. Supreme Court. And it is the leading nonpartisan civic education nonprofit in the country, we reach over 9 million students every year. Um, we work with hundreds of thousands of teachers across the country. And the reason for that is uh, because we create engaging, trustworthy, and useful uh, materials that uh, teachers have come to know and love, and students have come to know and love. Um, something that was very important to Justice O'Connor was creating. Uh, civic education resources that she said were not your grandmother's civic education. Um, so the idea was to create something that was both informative, but also um, engaging and importantly fun. Um, and so we really started with an emphasis on civic education games, which we've become uh, very adept at at creating. And uh, we continue to develop those games, but we're also going much deeper uh, into uh, the curriculum. So we have lesson plans. We're in the process now of building out full curricula. um, And we now have resources that span kindergarten through 12th grade. Everything that we create is high quality. It's also customizable. Uh, We know that teachers and schools uh, often have to adapt resources in order to meet state standards. Uh, in order to meet the needs of their particular students in their classroom. And so we always have teachers and students front of mind in everything that we develop.
0: My, my next question may sound like an obvious one yeah. or, or or a simple one, but define civics for us, please.
1: Civics is, a, is the study of our system of government. So what does that mean? <laughs> Uh, so it's the uh, the the design of uh, how our government works. Uh, so from from if you were look to look at it from the top down, which we don't necessarily do um, at I We both do top down and bottom up. So you can look at it as um, top down. So you know the U.S. Constitution establishes our system of government. That's the blueprint. From there, we've sort of built this government infrastructure. Um, on top of it over the course of the last um you know over two hundred years. And then from the bottom up, civics starts with the individual citizen and the family and the home and the local community. Um so it's all of those things that make up civics.
0: And um, since we're around the heels of September seventeenth, which is Constitution day, um, what is the significance of constitutional day? From
1: your, from your perspective. Sure, Um. so September 17th marks the anniversary of the signing of the United States Constitution um, in uh, the summer of 1787. And the significance is that it's an opportunity to learn about and study the United States Constitution, its history, Um, And I think, importantly, uh, the role that we, the people, play um, in uh, sustaining the system of self-government that was created in 1787. And, of course, there is a call for we, the people, uh, in the preamble to the Constitution itself.
0: Now, now, as you mentioned, Constitution Day, September 17th, um, it doesn't possess the wow factor of, say, July 4th. And if you ask me, America holds the Constitution, it, so many would be hard-pressed to, to tell you. But when you think about 21st century America, who and what we are bears a much closer relationship to the spirit of 1787 than it does to the spirit of 1776. Your thoughts on that? Yes,
1: yeah, so it's really interesting. So obviously, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance with July 4th. I, I think... Uh, some of this is uh, sort of a, a product of the fact that, um, you know, starting very early uh, in our nation's history, we there was an emphasis on pomp and circumstance for celebrating July 4th and um, the signing of the Constitution, although there were some parades, um, there was so much. Uh, first of all, it had to be ratified um, and then the the Constitution had to be put into action, right? They had to create a new system of government under the Constitution. There, there's something that's just more pragmatic about it. And Constitution Day itself was not recognized as a federal holiday until the early 2000s. Um, and so it just doesn't have the same uh, history as July 4th. Um, I think, you know, in my mind, um, it's just as important um, maybe if we did some more fireworks displays people would be more interested in celebrating as of right now how it's celebrated is through a federal mandate that requires schools that get uh, federal funding to do something to recognize uh Constitution Day. Um, and so that you know that goes from higher ed all on down um, through primary and secondary school. Um, And I think because of that, it really has, it is more of an educational event than it is about grilling and fireworks. So, you know, in some ways, it's more substantive than July 4th. Um, In other ways, it's not as widely known because of that.
0: The pop and circumstance notwithstanding, um, dig in from the perspective of the citizen. Why is it important? That I know your focus are are, are um, school age children, but why is it important for Americans more broadly to really have an understanding of civic history?
1: Yeah, this is the this is the constitutional democracy that you live under that we've inherited that we as citizens seek constantly to. Uh, improve the the lives of people under this system of government. In, in order to do that effectively, you really need to understand the history. You also need to understand the structure of government so that you can understand how to use the levers of power to enact change when change needs to be enacted. Um, so this is really foundational stuff uh, in order to get citizens uh, prepared for self-government which is what was established in 1787 and really what w- what was in mind um in 1776 and as you know we're rapidly approaching 2026 which is the semi quincentennial of the signing of the declaration of independence and America's independence and it's a great time in- inflection point for us to reflect back and ask you know what are we doing to ensure that Americans today are prepared to be actively involved in their own self-government, especially at a time where you're seeing not only declining knowledge of the system of government, but declining faith uh, in democracy in general. This isn't just happening in the United States; this is around the world, and declining trust in our institutions. Right? All of this requires, uh an informed citizenry that values the system that was created, but is also committed to the call of the preamble to the constitution. They talk about creating a more perfect union that acknowledges that what was created in 1787 wasn't perfect. We probably will never achieve perfection, but it is our job, right? To continue to perfect the union that was created in 1787 to work toward that. But
0: we have people, in my view, that should know. Um, we have journalists without a full appreciation of the First Amendment espousing First Amendment issues. We have elected officials demonstrating little knowledge or appreciation for the civic virtue of liberty and equality found in the Declaration of Independence. Um, we have lawyers ignorant of civil liberties. So I, I understand the the need, the crucial need to educate young people. But I'm looking at people who are making decisions right now that don't have the tools that iCivics provides.
1: Yeah, so it's stunning. Um, So I, I'm a, a lawyer by training. And I remember entering my constitutional law class my first year of law school. Um, and having a, a number of students who, who knew about my passion for constitutional uh, history and constitutional law who came up and they were like, where do I start in learning about the Constitution? I said, that's, just so, that's so curious to me that you're starting law school. And the way that it worked at my law school is we took constitutional on the second semester. You're already a semester into law school and you don't know anything about the Constitution. That was really astonishing to me, but when you look at the fact that civics has been de-emphasized um, over at least the last fifty years, then you realize all of these people who are who are going to journalism school, becoming journalists, who are going to law school, becoming lawyers, uh, and lawyers, by the way, have to take an oath to uphold the Constitution um, when they uh, pass, uh, become part of a state bar, um, and uh, you have elected officials who also take an oath to uphold the constitution. They're all products of a failing civic education system. So uh, you may have seen that the National Assessment for Educational Progress, uh, which on for shorthand we call NAEP, uh, released their new scores in May. They found that only 22% of eighth graders demonstrated proficiency in civics and history. That's 22% of eighth graders We are not doing a good enough job. We're not allocating enough classroom time and resources to this. This is why iCivics is not just focused on providing those high quality, engaging resources. We're also part of a movement to help increase classroom time, training for educators, making sure that this really is restored as a core part of the curriculum uh, because we've really just de de emphasized civic education over time. And I think you're seeing the uh, negative fruit of not investing in and tending to uh, the, the civic development um, of our nation's people.
0: It, it seems to me, um, and part of the challenge that, that you at I civics face, we have growing polarities um, that see little appreciation for context and nuance. And having played a couple of the, your online games, I think one of the things that you do emphasize in a very subtle but effective way is is the importance of uh, nuance and complexity. So you have these these polarities that, yeah, one group that's viewing the founding generation as a rare collection of enlightened souls who live just north of heaven, and another group who just see them as power, wig-wearing elitists concerned with only the virtue of white male landowners that seems if those are growing polarities that just seems you're going to have less appreciation for the civics that you're trying to provide it. your your thoughts
1: yeah it's it's a challenge to to navigate um the the current uh polarized political environment at the same time i think it speaks to the importance and value of what we do to continue to emphasize that nuance and if you ask the um, average teacher, they want to be equipped with resources and knowledge to portray that nuance to their students, help their students understand that. And if you start at an earlier age in helping young people understand, history is really complex and messy, and there is often not sort of one right way of um, answering particular historical questions in in a moment um in time, and helping young people uh, embrace that complexity. Then, you know, we're thinking it's a long-term project, right? Education. It's not um it's it's not a salve on on the wounds of today. um, we can try. It's really about addressing the next generation that's coming up and doing our best to navigate the messiness of this particular moment in our political history. But for us, it really underscores the importance of what we're doing. We're not going to step away from that nuance. It feels more important now than I, you know, perhaps has been um, in the, in the past.
0: Now, I know this is not necessarily iCivics mission, but some of this, um, feels almost like uh, intellectual triage in the sense that, and I certainly appreciate starting with young people and, and, and prepare because it didn't happen overnight. So it's going to take a while, I understand that. But at the same time, we have adults bemoaning that civics isn't being taught in school. And then there's adult, adults who have no civic appreciation that are making decisions about we the people. So, is there any way? Um, do you have any thoughts? Is there any way that more adults, because uh, in my view, are also in dire need of the civic education, as well as the young people that you are reaching and identifying?
1: Without question, yeah. I mean, so there are uh, there are definitely groups that are focused on uh, the civic education of adults. I will say, um, you know, we have a not insignificant adult population who comes and plays our games, which are freely available online um this is especially true uh, during you know election years they want to play our white house game um around constitution day um you know they'll they'll come and, and want to play um games related to to the constitution because they're thinking about it it's top of mind but it's very difficult to reach the adult population because unlike k through 12 students or even college students, where you have some kind of captive audience, right, like there's a way to capture uh, the attention and the minds of these people, it's much more difficult uh, to gain access to the general population. But, you know, there are definitely folks in the field, the National Constitution Center, the Annenberg Public Policy Center, and others who are focused on adult civic education. And I do think it's crucially important for many of the reasons we talked about a few moments ago when we were talking about the deficits in uh, civic literacy in the adult population, because most of the people who are adults today did not receive an adequate civic education themselves when they came through the K-12 system. And many colleges and universities, if you do go to college and university, don't require uh coursework in civics and history, or you can opt out of it by doing something like American history through baseball, which, while I'm sure is very interesting if you're a baseball fan, would leave fairly large deficits uh, in your knowledge of the system of government in the United States and its history.
0: Uh, Talk about um, your work in the following context. I mean, I've always held that the, the full measure of citizenship Requires that one appreciate not only their rights but also their responsibilities. So, as you, as you talk about the work of I Civics, talk about how you address those with young people, not only knowing their rights but also knowing their responsibilities. Because it seems to me you have to have both to be able to fully access the American project.
1: Without question, and we definitely educate young people on both their rights and responsibilities Um, it's two sides of the same coin Um, i think we try to present to young people responsibilities in a more uh, compelling way than responsibilities which i think to young people can sound like chores but rather as um you know empowerment opportunities for young people um, and really helping young people understand the critical role of the citizen in our system of self-government. It really does require that you, Byron, me, Julie, that we actually do something. We, we invest. And the very first step is that we actually have to learn about how our system came into being, how it works today, and what we as individuals can do to better our local communities, our state community, really the national and global community as well.
0: Since you've been doing this work, um, has there been any eye-opening experiences with young people that you, you you may have just not thought about how young people would embrace or uh, receive this information? Any type of eye-opening experience like that that you hadn't encountered before you started?
1: Um. Yeah, I mean, I think I've had a number of of, of eye-opening experiences. I'll start with a positive one. Um, which is uh, before I joined iCivics, I, I ran a constitutional history nonprofit that uh, ran a uh, Supreme Court competition for high school students. And years later, it turned out that one of the students who competed Uh, In the finals for that competition, later came to iCivics as a college student intern. And, uh, you know, approached me and said, you know, my interest in civic education and making that part of my career path was because of this experience that the organization you were running at the time was running. And really seeing that those kinds of seminal experiences for young people can inspire a commitment to. Civics. now many of the students who participate uh in those programs you know go on to to you know become uh, you know lawyers or or even politicians and and that th- that's exceptional and those are sort of eye-opening and positive way experiences but I think eye-opening in potentially a sort of the other side of that coin um is that we, you know we did a program um th- with a charitable organization in Washington, um, DC, that, um, is sort of an out of school program and and talking to young people, um, who live in Washington, DC, the seat of the federal government, um, and who know almost nothing, um, about the, the government that is, exists all around them. Um, And that's incredibly eye-opening as well and is really a challenge, right? It's a challenge to us in this field to do more to make sure that we're reaching all students. And that is incredibly important to iCivics um, is that we are creating materials, free, high quality materials that can reach all students um, and making sure that we're able to create resources that fit into lots of different types of communities and lots of different types of classrooms, because it is really eye-opening living in Washington DC to imagine uh, that there are young people here who are civically ignorant um, and know almost nothing, um, despite the fact that it is all around them.
0: Um, Without giving names, of individuals, just given the work that you've done, what you've obviously it's a life's work you've committed to, um, even prior to become, uh, becoming a member of I-Civics, Um, If you have you had an experience where you're watching, you know, uh, a cable news show, you're reading something online, and you hear someone speak with absolute authority about about the nation's founding the nation's history and you just want to cringe because you're like wait a minute that's just not true have you had experience like that uh
1: so much experience with it <laughs> that i no longer watch cable news shows um i i have and it's 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 incredibly i uh, frustrating i uh, to to um to know that i look You know, you could say these people are are intentionally sharing information that's inaccurate, but I don't actually know that that's true. I think sometimes people genuinely believe that what they are saying is an accurate representation of what has happened in the past. And, you know, for me, again, I'm an optimist. So I look at this as like this is why I'm doing what I'm doing is to be the corrective to that, because a lot of these cable news shows and, you know, pick your flavor. It could be, you know, any of them. Uh, so this is in no way uh, an attack on on uh, one flavor or another of cable news shows. Uh, but, you know, they have millions of viewers. Um, and so they have this incredible audience and it's an adult audience. And so to me, it's just it's motivating to get accurate, high quality history and civics out there as a corrective to misleading information um, that has permeated through uh, popular culture, both through uh, these cable news shows, but I think also through various popular myths. And by the way, this is really nothing new uh, to some extent, because uh, this kind of myth-making happened during the founding of the country uh, as well. Um, And so there's always been a need for this kind of corrective.
0: And I guess it's further enhanced by the fact that, say, if um, someone, if I was said host of a program and I asked someone a question and they said something that I knew was patently inaccurate. Not that they, not that they lied, but just it was just an inaccurate statement about the founding. And if I corrected them, well, I'm also part of an institution that is no longer trusted. So even if you correct someone, say, well, wait a minute, if if the individuals who are listening side with that person, they're going to side with that person more so than me, the person who corrected them for the accuracy of the history. So that's another challenge that you're facing, I would imagine.
1: Without question, uh, without question, the um, declining trust um, in institutions, including in educational in- institutions, um, is it's a massive challenge. But I think it is also why it's really important for organizations like iCivics to maintain the course, continue to do high quality, continue to focus on accuracy, continue to make sure um, that when we are presenting um, issues where there is viewpoint diversity, we're pointing out that nuance and viewpoint diversity. So for us, again, um, it, it calls us to continue our work and really underscores the importance of what we're doing.
0: So yesterday, I knew that you and I were going to have this conversation. Uh, I played the, uh, the people's pie. Uh, I played another game as well. We'll talk about that later. But I played the people's pie where I had to balance the budget. And my overall impact score, I don't even know what this means. My overall impact score was 42.50. Um, in the first year, uh, the people didn't like my budget too well. But in years two and three, they seem to like it. Talk about, not my score per se, but talk about the significance and the outcomes of um, the People's Pie online game.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, the interesting thing about uh, People's Pie, just a little aside, and then I'll talk about the substance of the game. Is um it was originally an older game that we had, and so many teachers asked for us to bring that game back and to update it that we did that um in the in the last year. Um and part of the um what we're trying to teach in the game People's Pie is less about sort of the specifics of the uh, of the federal budgeting uh, process, but the complexity of the task of creating a federal budget and trying to create a balanced budget. And so teaching that principle about the complexity, about the nuance is a really big piece of that game. And I think one of the frustrating pieces of the game, which you probably felt, was um, a lot of times you feel like you can please no one um, in the decisions that you make um, in with the budget and, and in other areas of the government, Um, As well, and that is uh, a reality of governance is a lot of times you have to, in order to move forward in whatever political environment you're existing in at that moment, um, you have to make compromises um, that will uh, bother various different constituencies um, but you do it for the sake of the whole, the entire pie, not just the piece of the pie. Um, and so that's one of the principles that we're trying uh, to convey uh, in that game. Um, and so scores aside, I'm glad that in your uh, in subsequent uh, gameplays, uh, you're uh, doing a better job of <laughs> meeting the the needs and demands of your constituencies, because this is actually when elected officials are doing their jobs well, this is what they have to weigh, right? Sort of the bigger picture with the particular demands of their constituents.
0: Well, I I would say for all our listeners, I would encourage them to to go to iCivics Civics and and play this game. I I would say that um, I found myself making some cuts on things that I really liked, but I, I cut them. For the sake of the budget, and also, but I have to admit, there was something about firemen puppies. I had to cut it. I'm sorry. I love puppies, but I yeah. had I had, no, I had to cut it. We we don't have the money for that. So I Maybe <laughs> maybe
1: the state will make up for it. Yeah, maybe the state will make up for it. But it, but I mean, but these are you know obviously we we present it. We present topics that um, would resonate with young people, in particular. But these are the tough decisions that our elected officials. I have to make. And it's important for people to understand that, uh, because a lot of times, you know, an elected official will have to make a decision that many of their constituents disagree with. Now, it's incumbent upon that elected official to explain why. But a lot of times when it comes to the budget, it's because, you know, this is a program I support. There isn't enough money for it. And I also think that you know, for instance, I need to make sure there's enough money for there's a lot of hurricane activity happening in the Atlantic Ocean this year. I need to make sure that we have enough money for, you know, FEMA and emergency responses because we know it's going to be a really active hurricane season. So that's going to take priority this year over puppies. Right.
0: And, and that doesn't even get into um, I'm sure you all well know the the whole idea of attaching riders to legislation. So um, if I were to vote no on something, uh, but there's a writer that included helping elderly women across the street, then when come election time, it'll be I voted against helping elderly women cross the right. street, and then everyone. And so we get consumed by that, and we don't appreciate the complexity of the legislation that that um, members of Congress have to vote
1: on. So we're trying, and and the goal really is, you know, through. Uh, Some of these games is to give that window into that process so that people do understand and you can make a a better informed decision come Election Day about whether or not the person who you've entrusted to represent you in Congress is doing that um, in a sufficient way, given all of the demands uh, that are on uh, that individual
0: uh I, I I don't uh pretend to assign blame, but for some time we've become uh, in my view, increasingly untethered uh from the nation's democratic norms. How long, in your view, can the nation maintain its current trajectory and still be reasonably defined as a democracy in good standing? Mm.
1: It's a it's a great question and probably one I would leave to a uh, political scientist uh, to to answer. Um, I I do feel that there is still time. Um, I do think that there's work to be done and we need people of goodwill across the ideological spectrum to commit themselves to this essential work of ensuring that uh All people uh, in the United States are prepared to actively be involved in the self-government required to sustain our constitutional democracy. And we must reaffirm the central values of our constitutional democracy. So it's not just, hey, listen, I want you to be able to rattle off uh, different factoids about American history, right? It's I really want you to understand these values, right, of, of liberty and equality, of this, the idea of self-government, I want you to become actively involved. And it's becoming increasingly difficult to do that. We, we live in a very busy sort of crowded time. There's lots of things that compete for our attention. Uh, but this is just really, really critical work. Um, when Justice O'Connor stepped back from public life in 2018, she issued a call to leaders in every field um, in this country to step up and emphasize civics for this very reason. Um, really just saying our work has perhaps never been as important as it is at this moment. Um, and we all have to work together collectively uh, to do this good work. Um, as I said, I'm an optimist. I think we can do it. Um, I'm hoping America's semi-quincentennial in 2026 serves as a unifying moment, a call to action for the things that we need to do for the next 250 years to ensure that we are able to sustain ourselves as a constitutional democracy.
0: You, you know, in your last sense, I was thinking about uh, Madison, uh, especially in Federalist but he does another places as well, he talks about factions and, and factions aren't necessarily bad, but they are just a natural byproduct of democracy, or can be of human interaction, rather. Um, but we've gotten—it seems to me—we've gotten to a place where the faction, in this case, the political parties, are more important than the ideals you just espoused. So, if living equality is, you know, the linchpin for American democracy, per the Declaration of Independence, if let's say you're my candidate, I'm voting for you, um, and you violate the liberty and equality creed, I can find nuance for you to overlook that and still vote for you, but if your opponent doesn't, then I want to hang them in effigy. And what I hear you saying is, we've got to have this standard where these values are still preeminent above the individual.
1: That's right. Um, and, and But I think before you can even have that values conversation, people need to understand what they are. And I think one of the challenges that we have um, because of the the declining civic literacy rates um, and the decline in, in, you know, citizen preparation was really seen as a core part of public schooling when public schools were created. At the nation's founding, um, we've fallen away from that. And so I think it's so easy for people to kind of fall on political identifiers, um, especially you know, if you uh, if you ask people, um, they have more knowledge on national elections than they do on local elections. And a lot of that has to do with um, the media environment um, that we have today. So you can learn a little bit more about a national candidate Um, But you really have to take it upon yourself to learn about a local candidate. So if I identify as a Democrat or Republican and I go to vote, right, voter turnout could be much higher in the United States, as we both know. Um, But if I decide to go vote um, and I, generally speaking, identify in one party or the other, it's much easier for me while I'm there to just do straight ticket. Uh, down on the political party that I identify with, rather than saying, "Well, actually, I did all of my research," and as it turns out, uh, you know, up and down the ballot, there are uh, candidates who don't identify in my political party, but whose values are actually more closely aligned with mine, or who's who is doing good work that I think is essential for my community. Um, you know, that kind of. Uh, to do the to be motivated to do that kind of research, right? To take time out of working, uh, raising a family, all of those sorts of things, um, it has to be a core value uh, for for you to feel the incentive uh, to do that. And we're we're not conveying that as a core. Right. That, you know, it is on you as the individual citizen to make sure that in a in a primary and in the general election, we are putting forward the very best people who will represent us in the national government and in our state and local governments to make the best decisions for our community that are aligned with the values of our constitutional democracy. That's on us. If you look at the number of people who vote in primary elections, it's very very small. It's often decided by just a few votes and you know, you can there are people who have studied this, but you know, I would say that it would be great to have more people voting in primary elections. I think you would end up with higher quality candidates who more genuinely represent the median American more American and more genuinely represent the values of our country.
0: I, I guess I'm, I'm wondering, because we, we sort of touched on this in prior questions, but isn't this in a way just calling into question the very nature of education in America. And I, I don't mean to bemoan teachers, but if we have an ethos where everything is geared towards some type of career, well, what's the value in uh, appreciating the Constitution, even if I'm in law school, if, if I'm going, if I've got my set mindset on being a tax attorney, why should I learn about the, the Constitution or the Federalist Papers or, the, or read the Declaration of Independence, uh, especially if there's little interest in pursuing? Uh, Education as a vocation, other than that, why am i why am I bothering this? I mean, have we don't we sort of have we sort of drifted in that direction too too far, I guess in your view?
1: I think that's right. Um so don't get me wrong. I think uh, the emphasis on career readiness is very important, right? People need to be able to figure out how to um, sustain themselves economically um, and prosper economically as well. Um, but there is absolutely space uh, for civics and history, and there is no real logical reason why we should drift away of that. It's not a zero sum game, right? There's there's enough space to allow for this, and it is essential. And it would really be restoring that critical civic mission of schools that was originally envisioned. Um, when common schooling, as it was called at the time, was created. And so um, <clears throat> you ask teachers, most teachers would like to see uh, civics and history restored to its rightful place in the curriculum as a core, not as a tertiary subject. Um, and so you know, a lot of this is just sort of bigger level educational movements, not at the teacher level um, that have caused this drift, away from the core civic mission of schooling but you know we talk to educators all over the country um, and not just educators who teach civics educators who teach various different subjects they all believe this is critical and because of the political dynamics of this particular moment in our history feel like it has maybe never been more critical than it is right now
0: we have um in my view we have civic Maturity and that that would be the whole understanding of this process that we've been talking talking about and, and, and accept the fact that it has nuance and paradox and it's circumspect and sometimes it gets it right and sometimes it gets it wrong but we embrace all of that in our civic maturity toward this goal of a more perfect union. then we also have this what I would call civic immaturity which just sort of sees the history as a cabal of perfection and anything challenges that is un-American. Um, how do you, can you parse those two? Because because the, the latter seems to be expanding. Can, can you parse those two out?
1: So I, you know, I, I'm a mom. So I think about maturity and immaturity and um, the process of educating and also the process of uh, maturing uh, through life, uh, you know, cognitive maturation. Um, and so I, I think that really what's required um, to uh, get more people into sort of the civic maturity camp um, is one to start earlier. So we know this, this isn't, you know, uh, lots of data, the earlier you start, uh, the better you prime the brain in the early, uh, early years to build a good foundation. Um, and then in terms of the corrective, I think this is harder, right? It's harder for, uh, to reach adults who are fairly entrenched, uh, in their, in their views, um, and, I uh, you know, in some cases, uh, it's not rational for a person to to uh, commit themselves to unpacking the talking points that they receive that that create a very strong visceral reaction, right? Like that that is how um, you know political talking points are designed to create that kind of reflexive. Um, response. And for most people, they get the reflective response and they go back to their daily lives. So the challenge is how do you help people sort of step back from that reflexive response and unpack it? It's very, very difficult to do in the adult population, but those are mindsets that you can build in young people coming through schooling. This is not to say, you know, we gotta just leave the adults and they're gonna just, you know, continue on that route. I think the the media can play um a very important role. I think podcasts like yours play a very important role in helping people understand those those nuances. And there are institutions that can do that work. We're really focused on that K through 12 space so that we can avoid that kind of civic immaturity in the next generations. Uh, that are coming up. And I will also say civic education is multi-generational. So, um, you know, doing the work in K through 12 actually reaches the parents of those students. And we and we have data um, to support that. So as we, um, and you see this uh, sort of in like the aging process, you know, as an adult person, I see the ways in which my orientation toward the world impacts the thinking of my parents and my grandparents and kind of expands their thinking on things. And so you will be able to see some indirect multi-generational impact as we focus on that K through um, 12 space, but it, it's just um, how do you raise a child is this, it's how do you raise a citizen, right? It is work um, and it requires of the the proverbial village uh, to raise a citizen the same way it does to raise a child.
0: Well, I, I can attest the accuracy of when people get entrenched because I teach um, history to adults, and whenever we when we get to the Emancipation Proclamation, I always ask the question: How many people were directly free from the Emancipation Proclamation? And they give me an answer. When I say zero, yeah. even after I explain what the proclamation did and didn't do, and it's why it's still a great document. Even after I explain that, you still have people that will say reflexively, well, that's not what I was taught. <laughs> and and they don't want to let that go, even when you present the facts. Right? So you're right. When people get something hardwired, it's very difficult to let it go, facts notwithstanding. So I civics technology, uh, it's an immersive experience in gaming. It's proven successful in helping students and to learn and engage uh, with the country's past. Um, I played. I had fun doing it. Um, I enjoyed it. Um, when, when students play games, what, what are the outcomes you expect? What, what are the expectations you have for students?
1: It varies by game. Um, so I, in terms of what the learning outcome is um, but you know as you know uh, we've just released a game on the Constitutional uh, Convention and the the purpose of that game um, is not only to um, help young people understand the the core compromises that had to be reached in 1787 in order to create. Uh, the U.S. Constitution. Some of those compromises, by the way, that we would find morally unacceptable uh, today. Um, But the idea that compromise is actually a bedrock principle of our constitutional democracy, even if that compromise is less perfect uh, or um, suboptimal, uh, but that compromise has always been required to move the nation forward. Um, sometimes it's by leaps, like in seventeen eighty seven or in the reconstruction period, um or during uh, you know, so the if you look at sort of key moments of constitutional history, if you look in sort of the New Deal period, that was sort of a leap forward as uh, as well. um and uh, and and then sometimes we're we're trying to kind of confine uh, as things change. So we there's sort of this the this idea that government is is always expanding, well, then there's also sort of the movement for why you would want to contract government. So um, in that game, we're we're both trying to convey um, historical knowledge, uh, but also this uh, notion that compromise is um, really embedded in the DNA of our constitutional democracy. And it's become such a... uh, a um, dirty word uh, in um, American politics today. And also this idea of civility and civic friendship um, that was really critical at the Constitutional Convention as well. And that's really critically important. How do you reach people who think very differently uh, from you? And and what can you learn in terms of give and take um, from people who are not like you? Um, And so a game like that has very uh, different learning goals um, in addition to just what's being taught um, in the K through 12 classroom. So again, infusing that um, values and a sort of skills building uh, uh, elements of civics into the games that are really rooted um, in uh, core knowledge.
0: Um, Constitution Day is upcoming, uh, talk about, um... We sort of touched on it already, but talk more, if you would, specifically about iCivic's latest online game, which which is the, the probably the great compromise, because without it, we wouldn't have a country today.
1: Yeah, so um, this is a game we developed in partnership with George Washington's Mount Vernon. Um, George Washington, um, as you might know, served as the president, which at the time was the presiding officer um, over the Constitutional Convention, and then, of course, served as the nation's first president. Um, under the new U.S. Constitution. And so it made sense for us to partner with Mount Vernon on this, Um, just went through sort of, you know, what the game does in terms of taking you through the, the core compromises, but then also asks the students after they understand the give and take that the convention delegates had to engage in in 1787 to reach compromises after you figure out the compromise that they reached, you are then prompted to think about how you might choose differently in 2023 and why. And I think it's very clear um, on the compromises related to enslaved people, why we would choose differently in 2023 than we would have in 1787. Um, But, you know, engage, asking students to go deeper um, with, the compromises, why, why would, why is this morally unacceptable now? Right. And um, if you were in the room where it happened, I, you know, why would you have chosen differently? And then, you know, then also understanding the challenge that if you did not compromise on some of those issues, the convention fails, and then what happens and understanding the consequences of that and the stakes that were in involved. And those are the things that we're trying to walk students through um, in this game. The interesting thing about uh, this game is it's our first game that we have designed not only to be played in full online, which is how most of our games are played, but also to be played on site as part of a museum exhibit. So this will be part of the um, it's in a temporary exhibit space at Mount Vernon now, and it will then be moved into their permanent exhibit on George Washington, which will relaunch uh, by 2026, the semi-quincentennial. So um, it will reach lots of people, including the many adults that go to Mount Vernon every year.
0: Well, I, I can say that um, when it comes to the the, uh, the dreaded three-fifths compromise, that um I actually supported um, the original decision simply <laughs> because the outcome I thought was were, were, were two very weak countries, and so it was a it was a hard, immoral decision. So, um, having played the game, I, I can attest that the, that, that the, the goals that you set out are indeed the goals. Um, Julia Silverbrook, senior director, of partnerships and constitutional scholar and residence at ICIVICS, Civics. I want to thank you so much. Uh, for for this conversation. Um, Before I let you go, um, for our listeners, um, with Constitution Day coming up, is there anything that you want to direct them to?
1: Uh, Yeah, uh, go to iCivics.org. When you go to our landing page, you're going to see all of our resources related to the Constitution, including the new game. We have a launch event um, that we'll be hosting from Mount Vernon, um, on Monday, September 18th, which is the observed Constitution Day, because the 17th falls on a Sunday this year. Um, the, the event will be live streamed and recorded. So if you are an educator, or a member of the general population, and you want to hear from a constitutional scholar in conversation with historical reenactors of James Madison and George Washington reflecting On the Constitutional Convention, we invite you to join us for that. All of the information about how you can register is available at icivics.org.
0: icivics.org, Julia Silverbrook. Thank you so much for joining me today.
1: Thank you so much, Byron. It's been a pleasure.
0: The Public Morality welcomes your comments. You can contact me at byron at publicmorality.org. That's Byron, B-Y-R-O-N at publicmorality.org. You can follow me on Facebook, as well as Twitter. The archive broadcast can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Prime, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Those listening to The Public Rally on WSNC can also listen on a tap. Using your mobile device, simply go to your application page, search WSNC 90.5, and click open to listen from anywhere. The Public Rally is produced at WSNC on the campus of Winston-Salem State University. For all of us at The Public Morality, I'm Byron Woods.